Lord, we thank you for this day. And it is a blessed assurance to know that, that you, Jesus, are our Savior. What a joy to know that we've been saved, that our sins have been covered by your great sacrifice. But today we, we remember again our brokenness and our sinfulness, and we again mourn over it. Guide us in the reading, the hearing, the understanding, the application of your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. This uh, sermon is called Blessed Are the Mourners. Had I, had I put that out, probably many of you would have stayed home uh, today, so I intentionally did not put that out. Uh, but uh, it is a bit of a difficult text, and as you see as we go, it's specifically about mourning uh, over our brokenness and how much we continue to need Christ. But I'm going to read the beginning of the Beatitudes and uh, going to read down through verse 4, our focus uh, for this morning. Matthew 5, beginning with the first verse. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Well, the second beatitude, like all the beatitudes, the one that's up there is a bit shocking. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The parallel passage in Luke 6, verse 21, may be even more startling. Blessed are you when you weep now, for you shall laugh. And the insinuation is you shall laugh later. Uh, you shall laugh even, as after, even immediately after you weep. Blessed or happy are those who mourn? Really? This is, of course, a, a paradox. And it's meant to, to catch our attention. G.K. Chesterton, uh, early 20th century writer and theologian, wants to find a paradox as truth standing on its head, calling for attention. Truth standing on its head, calling for attention. And that's what we have here. Jesus stood truth on its head, and he immediately demands our attention when he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But what does he mean by mourning? What does he mean by weeping? Obviously, mourning and weeping could be associated with any kind of human sorrow. It could be associated with death or disappointment or loss of any kind. And Christians mourn loss, do we not? And we're to mourn with those who mourn. But that's not the primary sense here. So what does mourning or grieving refer to here? Well, the Beatitudes, like every passage of Scripture, must be taken in context. And though we're considering each Beatitude individually, they do not stand alone. This Beatitude must be considered in light of its connection with the first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I believe Pastor and Professor Kent Hughes is correct when he writes, the first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, is more 
uh, using the mind. It's more intellectual. It's understanding that we are spiritual beggars and we need the grace of Christ. And that's the way we're blessed is when we come humble and we understand that. Whereas the second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, is more of its emotional counterpart. It naturally flows that when we see ourselves as spiritually poor, well then our emotions are stirred. And they should be stirred to mourning. Remember we said last week that the poor in spirit understand that we're totally lost apart from God's grace in Christ. Nothing in our hands we bring, simply to thy cross we cling. Those who truly understand this, those who truly understand how broken we are, will also deeply mourn, grieve over our own sin. We'll understand that when Romans 3.10 says that no one is righteous, no, not even one, it's speaking about us. And when we understand the depth of our sin... And when we understand how it separates us from God, then we'll grieve. We will grieve. So the second beatitude, folks, is about grieving over our sin. It's not one we really want to talk a lot about. And when we mourn over our own sin and brokenness, we also naturally begin to grieve the world's evil. King David did this in Psalm 139, verse 136. He said, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law, O God. We mourn over our own sin, and then we mourn and weep over the evils of the world. We mourn over such things as racial injustice. We're deeply sorrowful over the exploitation and the abuse of people, especially children and older adults and those with physical and mental disabilities we we don't like to see anyone who's vulnerable mistreated right we mourn over that we mourn ethical problems in any institution whether it be education or medicine or politics or business or the church we mourn the destruction of God's creation and we grieve over many other evils or we should as Christians we mourn and we Seek solutions for such things. The second beatitude is an amazing paradox. Jesus has stood truth on its head, and he said, Blessed are those who mourn over their own sin and over the sin of the world, for that's when they will find comfort. And listen, I don't think Jesus is suggesting that you and I go around gloomy all the time. He's not suggesting that we be grim and forlorn all the time. Solomon declared in Proverbs 17:22 that a joyful heart is what? It's good medicine. I mentioned the series Chosen last week, and I'll mention it again today. One of the things I really appreciate about that series is how the directors have depicted Jesus as laughing and being good-natured and sharing humor with his disciples. I, I think Jesus did use humor. I think Jesus was joy-filled. And we're going to talk in a moment about the comfort and the joy that comes in knowing that our sins have been forgiven when we truly mourn over our brokenness. Christians should be joy-filled. But the problem in our world, and even in the church, 
is that you and I try to avoid mourning of all types, particularly grieving over sin. We just avoid it. As Ken Hughes says, we seem to have structured our lives to maximize entertainment and amusement in this attempt to make life one big party. Further, in too many churches today, sin and brokenness is never dealt with. It's never mentioned because we're afraid that it'll make people unhappy. So we wind up laughing at things that we really ought to weep at. We, we make jokes about sin and brokenness instead of taking it seriously. And the result, quite frankly, is a pathetic and shallow Christianity. Mourning over sin is not optional for us. No one is truly a Christian unless they have deeply grieved over their sins. We cannot be forgiven if we're not sorry, regretful, mournful over our sins. The Greek word Jesus used is pentheo, and it's the most intense of possible verbs for grief or mourning. And it carries it with it this sense of grieving and continuing to grieve. So believers... Those who have been born again have mourned. We mourn now and will continue to mourn over the brokenness of our sin. We'll be repentant, in other words, all our days. All our days. I got to ask, do you truly mourn over your sin and brokenness? Have you ever just found yourself just truly broken? over a particular sin? Have you ever been undone because you realize just how much you don't deserve God's grace? And yet you know He gave it to you anyway? Without poverty of spirit, no one enters the kingdom of God. Likewise, without its emotional counterpoint, grief over sin, no one can, be, can receive the comfort of forgiveness and salvation. And that's the great joy of this paradoxical beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn. They're the ones that are going to find comfort. The future tense, shall be, is used here to sequence the verbs mourned and comforted. They shall be comforted. Mourning must come before the comfort. But the comfort, did you know this? It comes immediately when we grieve over our sin. The, the sense of Christ's words is something more like this. Blessed are the mourners, for they shall be immediately comforted, and they shall continue to be so. King David in his great psalm, Psalm 32, understood this truth. He said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And by the way, in the Beatitudes, you can see right here, Jesus is preaching the word. When he quotes blessed as those who mourn, he's coming from here. Blessed are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept, kept silent, 
My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, Lord, your, your hand was heavy upon me. My, my strength was dried up as by heat of summer. But I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. When David tried to hide his sin from the Lord, he just felt the weight of it bearing down on him. He felt like his bones were wasting away, he said. But in verse 5, you just get this sense of, of his comfort and his relief when, when he was finally willing to mourn over his sin and he was finally willing to come before God and say, Lord, I've sinned. And that was when he began to feel comfort. And one of those comforts, David said, you, Lord, forgave the iniquity of my sin. One of the great comforts of life is to know that we are forgiven. 1 John 1.9 has personally brought me so much comfort. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a comfort to know that we're forgiven people. Related to the comfort of forgiveness is the comfort and the joy of a changed life. Not only is a changed life evidence that we've been forgiven, but I think it also brings joy as the Lord continues to change us. Yes, there are growing pains as the Lord changes us, but there's also great joy as the Lord begins to work on such things as, as our arrogance and our judgmentalism, our selfishness, our jealousy, and so forth. There's joy as, as you and I begin to display more of the fruit of the Spirit. Joy as we grow in kindness and gentleness and patience and love and so forth. Which reminds me of another comfort or joy that comes when we mourn over our sin and brokenness. Peter said it in his very first sermon, Acts 2. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and then he said, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we mourn, when we mourn over our sins and you and I are born again, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he is called in John 14, 16, another helper, which can also be translated another comforter. The comfort Jesus gives us, folks, is relational. We have a relationship with Him because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We have the comfort of knowing we have the Holy Spirit guiding us. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Comforter, and that's the word paraclete. It's the same word that, that is used, Jesus used for comfort. Blessed are the Comforter. It comes from the same root. But the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to you your remembrance all that I have said to you. We, have, we should have great joy in knowing that the Holy Spirit continues to teach us. He continues to guide us. We also have the comfort of knowing, did you know that right now, every day the Holy Spirit is praying for you? Romans 8. Listen to the good news. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I don't know about you, but I find great joy in knowing this. When I'm so broken, when when my days are just so messed up, I don't even know how to pray. The Holy Spirit is praying for me. And you know what? He's praying the perfect will of God. The Holy Spirit's praying the perfect prayer over you and I. He's seeking completely God's will for our lives. What comfort. What comfort to know we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And day after day, He's teaching us. He's guiding us. He's showing us how to pray. And He's praying for us. And then this morning, I want to mention one additional comfort for those who mourn. For those who really grieve over their sin. I've been alluding to it all along. We have the assurance of salvation. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief refers to the person who's not really sorrowful over their sin. What's going on with them typically is they just regret that they got caught at their sin. That's what's going on there. They're more apt to resent getting caught than they are to be truly repentant. I'll give you an example. A well-known businessman who's known in this particular region by many, many people, he was, he was traveling in that region and he stayed at a hotel there and he complained to the management about the number of bugs in his room. Later, he received a letter from the corporate headquarters. It was a glowing letter which lamented their sorrow and regret that a person of of such fame, of such social standing, such honor, such respect, such brilliance had to endure those conditions, and then they went on to apologize. The letter was working pretty well for this man. He was feeling that they were truly sorrowful until he discovered a huge mistake. Someone had actually left a little note in the envelope that said, send him the bug letter. There was no sorrow. Not the least bit of regret. The motel chain hated that they got caught. That's what they hated. But godly grief, godly grief is when you and I are willing to truly weep, to truly mourn over our sin. And that's the sin that leads to salvation. I remember in 1982, sitting in a dorm room, and two guys asked me if Tonight, you know, if, if you died, would the Lord let you in His heaven? And I, I tried to answer, well, I think I'm okay. I think I'm a pretty nice guy. And those guys began to show me that I just needed to grieve over my sin and I needed to, to give it up to God and to trust 
and his sacrifice on the, on the cross. And that began a process of grieving over sin, but that's a process that continues all our days when we find that we're broken, when we find that, Lord, uh, I messed up again, and, and I want to repent, I want you to heal me. And so I just want to ask us all this morning, it's a question I've been asking myself as I've gone over this message, is, is have you ever truly mourned over your sin? Have you ever found yourself just so broken over a particular sin that you couldn't help but weep? Maybe so broken you felt like you had to stretch out before the Lord. Have you, have you ever been undone just just undone, realizing how unworthy you are of God's grace. And, 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 and yet amazed, just amazed that he gave you that grace. That's the mourning that leads to comfort. That's the mourning that brings forgiveness and a changed life. That's the kind of mourning that brings the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's the godly grief that leads to salvation. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They shall find God's comfort, God's forgiveness, God's salvation, the indwelling of His Spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, I intentionally wanted to, to give some silence this morning because, well, because we don't like silence. It forces us sometimes to come face to face with ourselves and to come face to face with you. Lord, we... You don't want us to go around sad and gloomy all the time. We know that. But at the same time, I'm convinced that we're not broken enough over what breaks your heart. We're not broken enough over our own sin and the sin of the world. And Lord, I also know this morning that you, you're not looking for us to go running around looking for the speck in another's eye. You're urging us to deal with our own log. To deal with our own brokenness. To not excuse it. To not joke about it. But to bring it before you. And so as hard as this is, we ask, O oh God, that you would bring to mind any sin we need to repent of this morning. Maybe there's something that's really standing in the way of our relationship with you. And we just ask that you would break us. That whatever it is, that you'd give us mournful hearts. That whatever it is, whether it, 
It's while we're here this morning or after we go home that we would, as we say, do business with you today. And you'd break our hearts for what breaks yours. Take away our prideful attitudes. Give us a deep humility that's willing to confess and willing to acknowledge how much we need your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Beloved, don't ever hesitate to come to the Lord wounded, broken, to be mended, to be healed. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you today and forevermore. Amen.